All right, everyone, welcome back to the Crypto 101 podcast. Pete's of mine here today with my wonderful co-host, Bryce Paul. Bryce, how you doing, man? Hey, man, you know what they say. Uh, if you have a bad day today and it's just raining and pouring, you're going to get sunshine and flowers tomorrow. Uh, and so I think I was overloaded with some technical difficulties all throughout uh, my computer for the past 10 minutes. But uh, tomorrow is going to be a much better day, I guarantee it. But yeah, I'm excited, man. Uh, we're here with Bill Ottman, for, uh, who's the CEO of Minds, and we're going to be talking crypto. We're going to be talking social media. Uh, it's going to be awesome. So, so Bill, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're, we're really stoked to have you, Bill. Um, and, and before we dive into Minds, um, we'd love to just catch the audience up to who you are. Um, so what were you kind of doing before you got into crypto and and what got you really excited about this industry? Yeah, I mean, crypto, it's funny because, you know, originally it's cryptography. Uh, you know, cryptography existed a long time before cryptocurrency. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I come at it from. Um, you know, my, I've been working on encrypted messaging systems and privacy centric social apps for like the last decade. So, um, you know, as soon as Bitcoin came around and then Ethereum, it was just like obvious that we would kind of continue in that direction. But we've, uh, you know, been been working on trying to create more open source and secure communication systems for a while. And what do you think really drew you to this idea of, you know, or what is it that you're, you know, so excited about? Is it the sovereignty of preserving maybe your your digital identity? Is it, you know, are you more of a anarchistic getting things out of government control and into the hands of the people? Or what's your main driver? Definitely the sovereignty is is a huge deal. And you know, it's not it's not easily achieved. Um, and so a progressive process and in, in getting there but i think that you know you we we kind of want the sovereignty to become a background process that's just an obvious part of all apps that people don't really have to worry about and you know that that's kind of where the challenge comes in i mean like managing keys uh is I, you know, I guess at some point it's a learning curve that you kind of have to go through, but it's still frustrating. Even for guys like me, I've been in it for seven years. I'm just still frustrated managing these keys. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, but like at the end of the day there, there's, you know, who do you, you either have to trust yourself or someone else, right? So, the price you're willing to pay. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, there will, we probably will see like things like social recovery, emerging so you know you can tap like a handful of friends and family and if they reach a certain level of consensus then you know you can get your keys back so i I think that there will be ways to solve the losing keys issue and in a way that still has you preserving the power over them as opposed to the platform but yeah i mean you know i wouldn't I don't know about political labels so much. I'm I'm more so I'm very interested in in like community governance as opposed to like top down more authoritarian systems like we're seeing in big tech now. So we're working on a bunch of tools to put to give the community more power. Speaking about big tech, I've been trying to deplatform myself before they have a chance to censor me. <laughs> I recently got rid of my Facebook, my Twitter, uh, most of my Google stuff is gone. Uh, my God, do I feel so much better in my life, not having all that noise being filtered into my brain. I remember once upon a time, I had a homepage on my browser and I got to filter out the news feed with the topics and things that interested me instead of being dictated to what I can and can't see. And I just got fed up with it. So, but I love social media. I love being able to connect with the community, find new like-minded people. And I, there is aspects of it that I do miss. I miss being able to share photos from my travels, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So when you decided to build Minds, was it with the idea of you know, deplatforming a specific type of social media or was it creating something brand new? 
Yeah. I mean, first of all, congrats on, uh, you know, overcoming the addiction. It is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so I think that, yeah, I, I, but it's, it's absolutely liberating. I've, I've removed myself from most of the social networks in terms of accounts. I, I cannot claim to be fully extracted in every sense of the word. Um, but your worldview opens up and, and you realize that your sort of daily thought processes are really are kind of like dictated by what you're seeing in the feed. And yeah, I remember those old home pages that you could curate and it was much more powered by things like RSS and different, different feeds that you could opt into. So, I mean, from the beginning, we always thought that an open source privacy preserving more sovereign social network was inevitably going to emerge in the same way that open source systems are kind of taking over every other industry. So, or, you know, area of, of software from browsers to operating systems, to currency, to content, you know, CMSs, open source options are really are taking over and social is really one of the only realms where it hasn't yet. And I think that considering social networks are, where most people are spending most of their time, it is inevitable because everybody used them. I mean, if you had the choice of a few sites, you know, one with that was totally transparent with you, respecting your freedom, helping reward you, pay you, and it had equivalent functionality as the extractive tools like Facebook, Google, Twitter, I think most people would pick the one that is actually benefiting them and rewarding them and, and protecting them, assuming it has competitive features and a competitive audience. Right. But we're just not there yet. So, you know, it's hard to, to get people to jump ship when the audience isn't as large and the functionality is not, it is not quite there, but we're getting closer and we are catching up. And, you know, luckily the whole crypto industry is just, growing exponentially and there's tons more money coming into the space and yeah you know, one of the things that one of the things that i saw that this is all kind of bringing back to mind is like when you know DeFi summer kind of kicked off there was all this liquidity mining so that you know users could get incentivized to come on the platform right you could right. hop on the platform you earn these tokens for using it and you're like wow this is a great experience and you know that caused an entire huge wave but what is liquidity mining or something like that an incentive uh, look like maybe on the mines platform in order to to grab people and incentivize them to come and try this new way of life. Yeah, I mean it works just like that. Uh, so well, we have <laughs> we have daily rewards in three buckets: um, engagement rewards, which are just for engagement on your content. That's forty percent of the. So we ten thousand tokens are dropped daily, and those are distributed into these three buckets: engagement, just holding, so purely for holding on chain. We're putting them out and then for staking into the mines ETH pair on Uniswap. So, and that's, that's half of the reward. So if you um, hop into the on Uniswap V2, so we grab, we're using the graph to grab the position and then we're kind of proportionally rewarding users based on that. And we, based on your, your liquidity position, you're getting free advertising. So there's sort of this core utility of promotion um, and advertising for staking in. And so on the main newsfeed, there's this advertising slot in the sidebar, which rotates proportionally according to your share. That's cool. That's something new I've never heard. Yeah, we call it ad mining. So basically you're, you know, getting that real visibility for, you know, it's not just like tokens for the sake of tokens. It's, mm -hmm. you know, tokens are cool, but okay, what do the tokens do? Um, and what does per participating do? Um, so also one token is worth a thousand views on mines. So you earn them and then you can boost your content for uh, with, with the tokens. You can tip people, you can upgrade your account. But yeah, I think that the, uh, you know, Uniswap is amazing and uh, we're really trying to leverage it as much as possible. That's really cool. Let's talk privacy for a little bit. You know, on Facebook and Twitter, 
privacy violation has become a feature, not a bug. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there are some people that love it. They say, hey, I love this ad, you know, on my screen for wrinkle-free shirts because I was just complaining to my roommate yesterday how much I hate ironing. And my phone was listening. And now there's a solution. And Facebook but goes, hey, you know, isn't it great that you yeah. get the ads you want? We can't do this unless we snoop. Or can they? Sure. Well, it'd be great if it wasn't broken because I keep seeing that ad over and over after I bought the damn shirt. Like, shut up already. I already bought it. Leave me alone. I know. So where does privacy lie on minds? Are you guys helping me shop with my Christmas shopping list as I think out loud in my brain? Or am I completely cut off and have to do things the analog way? Yeah, dude. We're Haven't you seen our main product, the, uh, the brain chip? The Neuralink, <laughs> so that we can just extract all data from your brain. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Only have to get a new one every year. Yeah, yeah, the uh, planned obsolescence. So, no, I mean, obviously, we don't do anything with invasive surveillance. So we're not following you around. We're not tracking your location to feed you stuff. You know, I think the whole audio you know, are they listening to target ads is very likely, but I think still sort of inconclusive. And there's just so many things that they're doing that could be predicting that all of it totally invasive and unacceptable. Um, And, you know, I think the fact just that, you, you know, when you say, okay, Google, or, you know, whatever the activation phrase is, it's like, well, how did you know, if you're not listening, then how did you know that I said, okay, Google? And how right. do you, you know, in the, in, in the first place? So I think that it's likely that they're listening, but they deny it. I mean, it's, it's, I've, I've, I've heard multiple times people from Facebook denying that they're, that they're listening. So I'm. Yeah. The way they get around it is there's some third party app that comes pre-installed on every device from some other company that then feeds them. And other companies. Oh, so they aren't listening. Yeah. 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 Just like how uh, uh, the British Interpol listens to American phone calls. So the CIA can say, hey, we're not snooping. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes sense. What's that? uh, What's the third party? Are you aware? Uh, I have to look it up again. I forget the name, but it's something that's like pre installed, just running in the background. Huh. I got to look that up. Yeah. So, I mean, look, with our ad system, you know, none of it is surveillance based. It's all based on like tags and it's not as targeted. Um, but at the end of the day, like our, our community is pretty commonly interested in a lot of this internet freedom stuff. And, um, you know, we do want to bring in kind of consensual targeting. So if like you want to receive stuff about, crypto or sports or whatever you can kind of say i would like to to get recommendations based on this stuff but no yeah we we would obviously not use any dirty tricks and all of our code is open source so people can go make sure that we're not doing it anyway now i'm kind of curious about like um content that gets posted onto a blockchain are you guys uh using your own blockchain uh to host files uh that people could share using something like arweave or file storage um, what's kind of like your technical stack look like? Yeah. Yeah. We do have an Arweave integration, so you can post to the permaweb, um, but that's optional. So, you know, this idea of like everything on the blockchain, I don't think is necessary. I mean, it depends on the block. I think that there are different blockchains that are kind of more suited for content. I mean, Arweave is obviously one of those. Um, and then we've been playing around with ceramic and IPFS, but you know, the querying is still pretty limited, but you know, yeah, I can. So in terms of the stack, like, yeah, we have a, a, a major microservice with our weave so that you can post immutably if you want to, but you know, we also have, so we have a multi-cloud, uh, infrastructure that's running over Kubernetes, um, with Cassandra clusters. And so that's like not completely, that's not like permissionless decentralization, but Cassandra is a decentralized database. Um, And then we also use Matrix for our chat system, which is a decentralized federated and end-to-end encrypted messaging protocol. 
So that's kind of like a companion. Minds Chat is a companion app to the main Minds app, which you can you can find them both at minds.com slash mobile. But you know, Matrix is pretty good. It is also kind of a little bit limited in its scalability. So the Synapse server that that most matrix nodes are running on is not necessarily used to communities our size. So we're kind of working on some scalability issues with that, but then like, you know, the angular front end, I don't know how, how granularly you want to go into oh, it. Yeah, that's cool. We um, use react native and mobile and we're definitely like looking at more full like right now we're very focused on our did research for decentralized identity and understanding like we have web3 services for like with web3 modal and wallet connect so you can connect your crypto wallet to your account but and we've been looking at sign in with ethereum do you kind of view that as a stopgap yeah I just think that long term, I don't think that your wallet is going to be your the core of your identity. I think that it, yeah, it's like a cool thing, and I actually like the the UX of you know going to DApps and just connecting your wallet, and you can do stuff. But you're also like doxing your own finances when you do that, and I mean, I not necessarily. Obviously, you can you can spin up new addresses for doing different things, but. I think that if you look at the actual DID spec, it's much more so going to be, you know, you have your, your DID and you can kind of correlate different crypto wallets with that and expose them or not expose them. And you can have all these badges, verifiable credentials, NFTs, whatnot, that you are choosing what to expose and what not to expose as opposed to kind of being forced to expose everything that is associated with your address. Um, yeah. Like a zero I mean, knowledge, a kind of zero knowledge reveal of some type. Yeah. Yeah. I think just that th- there's definitely a weird flaw in that, you know, I could send you a nasty NFT that you want nothing to do with. And it, you know, they're, they're are, I don't it happened know. just the other day. Somebody got uh, one of these big hedge fund managers. I, I won't say his name, but he got you know what's called spearfished, where somebody sent an NF or somebody sent a, uh, a a phishing link to him, and he clicked it, and it added an NFT that ended up like draining his account or something like that. It was just crazy. Yeah, yeah. So you definitely got to be careful with all of those things. Um, but I think identity is is essential to be interoperable between networks, and I think that. We're going to start, there's this new project Verite, which like MetaMask and Coinbase and Square and a bunch of projects are kind of starting to contribute to, which is building on top of DID. And then, so that's a big initiative and, you know, more options. I think Ceramic is going to evolve. I'm I'm pretty impressed at what, what they've done, but we, we don't have a full integration with them yet. And I mean, it's the thing is with a social network compared to like a normal DeFi app with this just kind of like a simple smart contract with like two things you can do on a social network. It's like, okay, <laughs> it's a beastly app with a ton of different functions. I see you're wearing a live peer shirt. Um, and, you know, we've talked with them a bunch and I, we're, we've been pursuing an integration to have them handle, help handle some of our video features. But again, it's, it just shows that you know, there's probably like a few dozen features that we kind of need to use to puzzle together different decentralized services to actually fully decentralize. Mm. So we're just like, you know, we're chugging along as fast. And would as you yeah. call that, would you kind of call that composability? Call what composability? The fact that in order to make kind of the platform thrive, it needs to have many different aspects of many different blockchains um, and like kind of getting its, decentralization from the fact that it relies on so many different decentralized systems. Yeah. And I think that, you know, again, it's a spectrum. I know some people don't like to hear that, but the reality is that if you post something on social media, like, do you want to be able to delete it? You know, a lot of people do. (laughs) And if you, you know, are posting to a fully decentralized system, then you literally can't. 
you know, you can try to hide it. And I know our weave has like a pretty cool system for ignoring like nodes can kind of opt into these different content policies. And so like, if somebody posts something like really nasty to our weave, then like the nodes can kind of create these blacklists, even though it, you know, if you ran the full our weave chain, you would be able to access everything and you would have to opt into that, that, um, that content moderation policy. So, you know, I think there are, there is value to servers for certain functionality and that actually can give the user more control under certain circumstances. So, you know, but again, we definitely have a bend towards, you know, as much peer-to-peer functionality as we can get. Yeah. Fair. Makes sense. Um, what you're doing is really hard. That's the summary of all that. And right. it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of efforts from many different parties. So, well, I think that's cool. But the real question is, how do we get everyone to finally leave the cesspool that is crypto Twitter oh, and crypto Reddit? And God help you if you're still stuck on Facebook, other than in our private group, which we're finally migrating out of Facebook. Um, yeah. And I get onto minds. Well, I mean, that's the question. So MySpace was the biggest thing ever until Tom sold it to Fox, which then filled it full of ads. People said, my page won't even load anymore. Screw this. I'm out of here. Hmm. And Facebook was just sitting off to the side for damn near a decade doing nothing. They had almost no users, but they were there as an alternative. And they just happened to catch a billion people migrating away because they were sick of it. And people are just going to go going to go wherever their friends go. So yep. is the philosophy for minds just to be an alternative in waiting? Or do you have an aggressive strategy to finally help liberate some people from what you said earlier is their addiction? Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, definitely just being there is uh, part of it. But I mean, yeah, we're, we're starting to get more aggressive. You know, it's not nearly as easy now as it was. I think for Facebook, because MySpace was obviously, you know, breaking and people were like, okay, well, I just want something that works and is fast. And so, you know, Facebook was there and this was, you know, in the very early days. Now we're in a very different situation. It's much more so like David versus Goliath than it was back then. You know, Facebook, MySpace was not really Goliath on the scale that Facebook and Twitter and Google are. Like they are Goliath on, you know, steroids. Like they, they have infected everything. They are powering the whole, you know, most of the infrastructure of the internet. They're powering most sites. It's not going to be nearly as easy to displace them as, you know, MySpace. It's not like MySpace had APIs that like everybody was reliant on. (laughs) Right. You know, so it's a, it's, it's a very different dynamic now, and it's going to be a lot harder. That being said, it's also easier to, for like crazy viral stuff to happen now. And I think that we, you know, we can see mass migrations very quickly. It doesn't necessarily even mean that people completely kick the addiction, but I think that we have seen examples where like hundreds of millions of people move in a relatively short period of time. And so I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to keep up, but because, you know, they also have, you know, infinite resources, thousands and thousands of developers. It's like, they could leverage the public markets to finance themselves. Yeah. People are going to follow wherever the cute girls are dancing and the cute cats are bouncing around. (laughs) That's the only, or or the celebrities are are live streaming. Like if you can corner those three markets, you're at hundred million users by tomorrow. Yeah. I think that the, the only good thing about TikTok is exactly that they, they proved that in a relatively short period of time, a, you know, people will move or people will at least like, I mean, TikTok sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, I know that they rebranded. They used to be, I think they were musically, at one point, and then they maybe went through some rebrands. And so it's not like 
they're completely. But I have seen the I have seen the growth charts that you're talking about in terms of adoption of you know how quickly they got to you know 100 million users was quicker than like anything else. It was explosive. Exactly, exactly. So I think yeah, that's definitely what we're we're going for, and I think that you know the the. There's promise coming, you know, if you look at like OpenSea and, you know, some of the big NFT, other big NFT marketplaces, and you look at MetaMask growth, like things are starting to happen where, you know, you I think MetaMask has like 40 million users now active, mm-hmm. you know, we've yeah. got like six. So, you know, we're, but look, I'm also confident six million for everybody yeah usually. Yeah, yeah six million <laughs> not uh, six thousand not just six six million so that, i mean you guys have made a, a, a tremendous impact i mean in terms of uh you know products in crypto not many other products have six million users yeah yeah i mean we because we we've been around for a while like we had a whole centralized point system before we moved to ethereum mm. and so we've kind of been playing with digital rewards for a long time and then so we actually have a lot of users who still haven't even like fully migrated on chain but like we really are trying to educate people and make that process easy you know you don't you you can't force feed it and right. if you do if you do people will jump ship but yeah i think that the the tiktok data is is really key in showing that it can happen and yeah, I'm, a good case study. I'm, I'm also not like I'm confident in the market. So mm. I, I think that we're not stressed. Like we're, we're seeing sustainable growth and we have had some huge inflection points, like where we'll get like, you know, half a million users in just like a week. And that's happened like a, a handful of times over the years. Like we had huge surges from Thailand and Vietnam in reaction to some censorship and surveillance events in their countries and like revolving doors between Facebook and Twitter and their governments. You know, when we were on Rogan um, a couple of times, we've, oh, heck yeah. yeah, we've had some, some, some good growth. Um, I mean, just recently, Daryl, uh, one of, one of our advisors and I went on Rogan last week and it was, uh, you know, when we're seeing great numbers from that. And I think there's just people want to leave. They just are, you know, stuck. And, and, and that's, that's the part of why big tech is so malicious because, you know, they lock you in and you have to start over and people are like, Oh God damn it. I don't want to start over. I don't want to, you know, rebuild my whole, list and it's yeah, just it, it would be what well, i always that'd be great like for you know for me i use twitter so often right and i love it um you know and I, it helps me organize so much data and there's all these different algorithms that like personalize my feed and now i've seen they've added new like lenses so it's like oh view what um somebody else's feed looks like and i'm like mm-hmm. oh that's like a pretty cool idea get added to this list that is cool um, I didn't know lens. Is that what they call them? Lenses? Um, I don't know if it's out yet or if they're just, if I've just heard people starting to talk about it. Um, but it would be so great to be able to kind of take my lens, right. And my algorithm hmm. that's personalized for Bryce's preference and take it to any platform and kind of like in this future of decentralized social media in the same way that we have decentralized you know, finance, or I could take my Bitcoin and I could wrap it and send it to Ethereum and then send it over the Ren bridge and then Thor and like have your, have your money anywhere you want, anytime at any place in the same way, having your decentralized identity and your central, your decentralized preferences anywhere and packaged up and taken with you. Um, I hope something like that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I no, absolutely. Yeah. That, that, that is key. And there, there's, there actually is a project that the guys at Ave were working. It's called Lens actually. And okay. Maybe that's what I was thinking about then. They're working on like web three social graphs and you know, we're working on that as well. So I actually, I've been, I keep meaning to, to get in touch with those guys, but yeah, I think that we also do have uh auto, you know, cross posting. So all your Twitter and YouTube stuff can just like populate into mines and uh-huh. we're going to be building the other way. So, you know, that's, that's kind of cool. That, that helps people at least feel like, okay, this isn't going to be a huge time suck. Um, and I can at least get my presence started, but yeah, I mean, I just, I just don't stress about this too much. I, I think mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, building, free- they will come. Yeah. You give people freedom. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You give people revenue opportunities, you help people earn, and you know ultimately the platforms that provide the most value are going to win. Totally. So, yeah. Now, now how how do you think like decisions will become uh, you know kind of be made in terms of censorship? Like, you know, that's a really vague and broad question. Like, censorship could mean a bunch of different things, and like obviously there's the obvious things, like the super just inappropriate things that we all know that's just not appropriate to be shared. It's illegal, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, how do you make sure that sort of stuff is enforced? But also, how do you make sure that people's voices, like the president of the United States, can't get deplatformed from Twitter? Um, and, you know, how, you know, is there a voting process where all the token holders kind of propose, you know, here's how things are going to get regulated? And is that efficient? And how do you guys think about that stuff? Yeah. So we, we have a jury system which we use, we're currently using the jury system for the appeals process. Um, and we're going to be phasing it into like the first layer of moderation. Right now we have our moderators. And if someone gets, I mean, we have a first amendment based content policy. So we are, you know, we, we don't want to censor anything that we don't have to censor just because ultimately we think that, you know, the healthiest communities kind of have the most free expression. Um, and we actually just wrote a huge research paper on this exact topic, basically proving that censorship causes radicalization. That's at censorshipeffect.com. And we like, it's like 80 pages. It's, it's a lot of, it, 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 it's really, that's the shocking thing. Like big tech thinks that, or they're claiming that they are sort of on a moral high ground by banning all of this content, you know, whatever, what they deem to be misinformation or um, hate speech and whatnot. But actually most of the peer reviewed research shows that that actually causes those individuals to become more reinforced in their views and potentially more radicalized because they're in isolated environments now without kind of access to people outside their echo chamber. So that makes sense. It does make sense. I mean, it's very obvious, actually. And they don't really have any data proving or just rationalizing why they think censorship works. So anyway, that's a side tangent. To In terms of juries, I think that ultimately, you know, we don't want to be middlemen in in terms of uh, decision making. Yeah, you guys don't want to be arbitrating, you know, what what's appropriate and what can get said and whatnot. No, but like the issue with like token you know, token balance voting is also problematic. Um, And I think that a lot of people have good criticisms of that. So we've been a little bit patient in terms of how we introduce uh, the first layer of, you know, so when content gets reported, it hits a queue. And in terms of like determining users that are not going to like mob that queue or troll that queue, like that's kind of, the concern that you have with, with juries. And so I, you know, that's where verifiable credentials and, and decentralized reputation kind of come in. You want everyone to have a chance to participate and, and earn credibility over time based on kind of tracking their, their, their behavior in the queues and understanding like the accuracy of their voting over time. And if they're like mobbing and whatnot, you know, it's a very complicated problem to solve and sort of, you know, and we want to do it in a way that can potentially be portable between networks. So, you know, if doing it just in purely a centralized way would be a lot easier, but, you know, then we would have to completely redo it after, you know, we come up with more of a a decentralized way to do it. So that, that's something that we care a lot about in the, in the, in the, the current jury system that we have for appeals has been, you know, largely successful. So people really like it and we want to apply that jury process not only to moderation of bad content, but also moderation of good content and like finding good stuff and like people staking on different content that they think is extremely valuable or um, totally. and, and having like, yeah. So like both 
positive and negative. Love that. Now, kind of switching gears, um, but not really. It's kind of in the same. It's just tangential, I guess. But you know, I, I guess the question is is around these you know proposed central bank digital currencies. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of meetings. It feels like every month. Uh, where one nation or another is talking about this. And the, the reasons for it are so obvious, right? They just want to control where your money goes. If they want to freeze your account, they want to do so at a click of a button. They don't want to have to go ask permission from a bunch of different you know, commercial banks and all that kind of stuff. And so it's a, it's a thing of control. And so on one side of the world, we see like, okay, that's happening. But on the other side, there's nations like El Salvador who are starting to do really cool things by adopting Bitcoin and issuing, you know, Bitcoin-based bonds. Um, it almost seems like there's going to be a race, um, and there, it's going to be a two-pronged race, like the race to get your CBDC done first, and it's going to be, you know, that kind of controlled socialistic society, and then it's going to be a race to accumulate as much Bitcoin as fast as possible to have a, you know, a free, fair, um, you know, kind of non-inflationary. Uh, currency that's global and permissionless and censorship resistant that that side of the world can share. Do you kind of think that that's a fair dichotomy that that you see kind of unfolding? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, obviously the uh, Bitcoin and public blockchain focused currencies are way better and <laughs> way smarter for uh, governments to hoard. But yeah, I mean, look, even on a corporate end of thing. I mean, we, um, we, we put like 25% of our treasury into Bitcoin and Ethereum. Wow, um, that's fantastic. Like, yeah. We raised like 10 million in last June mm -hmm. and just like immediately got in and it's cause I mean, we believe in these systems and long-term it's just like, you want to put your resources in a place where one, you think that they'll appreciate and, you know, you can hedge against inflation, but also to, to support the networks in general. And I, I, I think that we're seeing massive corporate adoption and um, yeah. And government adoption. I can't wait to, I want to go to Bitcoin beach. I'm, I'm, I got to get down. I know. There. You guys been down there? No, I haven't. I met somebody who, uh, who knows um, the guy, Michael Peterson, who's one of the guys who started uh, the whole, El Zante Bitcoin Beach sort of phenomenon. I wrote a newsletter on it like two years ago before El Salvador was uh, adopting Bitcoin. And then I met somebody who like was like, oh, I listened to your podcast. And like, I know this guy is doing something in El Salvador with Bitcoin. I was like, oh my God, I want to get connected. But we never did. So Michael Peterson, if you're out there, uh, shoot me an email or something because that'd be cool to get connected. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope that we see sort of a dissolving of the um, conflicts between Bitcoin and Ethereum um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just really love both projects and I just, you know, I'm not a fan of kind of the, the hate that goes back and forth. The tribalism. Tribalism. Yeah. I mean, like largely what we're, we're very focused on, uh, depolarization and, you know, non-tribalism politically as well. Um, cause I think that what you see is big tech has kind of become ideological um, largely towards the left. And then some other alternative social networks that have popped up are like kind of more ideological towards the right and, you know, are not really embracing open source or crypto. And they're just sort of like this red version of the blue big tech. And that's really just unhealthy in my opinion as well. And so I definitely urge people to kind of beware of, projects that are calling themselves alternative without actually representing like these principles of sovereignty and transparency and privacy. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't need to name names. Like people know who they are right. or they, or if you don't like good. Um, yeah. It's so, terrifying just how much of web three actually runs on Amazon web services. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I think that that's why, that's why multi-cloud I think is, is really important and, being capable of that. Like for us, you know, cloud native stuff is important technology. So I don't think it, you know, you don't want to be like anti-cloud, but you also don't want to be cloud, you know, reliant on any particular cloud. And so like combining, 
you know, truly decentralized systems where like anybody can run a node, but also like, look, the cloud is sort of inevitable and it offers certain things that I don't, I also don't want to like naively say, like, aren't going to be part of the long-term equation. So, you know, for us, like we can't get deplatformed by any particular cloud because we have these, these uh, Kubernetes clustering systems kind of running between clouds. So I, I, I definitely encourage uh, those who are in the crypto space and like reliant to pursue multi-cloud because then at least you have something resembling a, an argument. <laughs> True. Now, yeah. b- before we, before we close out, I want to get your thoughts on the metaverse, right? A lot of people are saying, oh, the metaverse is the new big wave. Um, and a lot of people are like, wait, what even is the metaverse? And so from your standpoint, do you think, or like, what's your like overarching like thesis on the metaverse? And do you think that there's going to be, you know, maybe one that succeeds, like it's only going to be Decentraland or there's just going to be a million of these worlds that you'll be able to hop through? I mean, I definitely don't, it, don't think it'll only be Decentraland, but I certainly give them props for, you know, doing it the right way as opposed to meta, which is doing it the opposite. I mean, the fact that they're even trying, first of all, I'm not even going to call them meta. I just did. And that's like the first time ever. Their name is Facebook. Facebook. They can't trick you. They're not changing names for me. I don't care if they want me to call them that, but you know, it's like this closed walled garden metaverse with, you know, in they're sort of entertaining web three, but like not really doing anything with it. And I can't see, like I've dug in a little bit and I can't find anything open source that they're doing. So I feel like there's sort of this big tech corporate version of the metaverse, which is really just like VR games. And, you know, they're probably going to have digital goods that you can buy and maybe they'll support, they'll probably support Ethereum and, you know, maybe some blockchains and with NFTs that you can kind of bring in. But I, I haven't seen anything of substance that is actually like, okay, what is Facebook's Ethereum play? By the way, it is hilarious. I noticed this the other day. Zuckerberg's sister is like an Ethereum head. <laughs> She's an influence. She's an Ethereum influencer. That is so funny to me. I can't believe <laughs> that. He must, I feel like he's not happy about that. Um, but good for her. That is, it, we live in the funniest timeline of yeah. the, the multiverse. But I, you know, I think ultimately metaverse is just the idea. It, it, it's like sovereignty and, you know, it's digital sovereignty and like ownership of, of your stuff in the digital world. And, you know, will there be, there will be various kind of virtual representations of yourself in these digital worlds. Like, you know, it would be great. And I think that I I need to really talk to the people from Decentraland because I think that we could have some, some cool interlinks and, you know, just because it's, it's just a UI, it's an immersive UI. Like Decentraland sort of is a social network as well. Totally. And it's just um, kind of a a different UI than a a typical social network, which is, you know, more like feed-based. But, you know, could you have that feed like falling down a waterfall in the middle of Mars? Like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Pizza Mind told me that uh, he was the first person to tell me that he thinks one day... 2D web pages will be totally obsolete and it's all going to be 3D websites. And basically you, you won't, you know, even if you don't have goggles or whatever, you'll still navigate through a website as if you're navigating through a three-dimensional space. Did I get that right, Aaron? Yeah. Basically like Decentraland would be people's homepage. You just go right into an office in Decentraland or a museum or whatever it is. And you start looking around, clicking around, but it's going to be an immersive experience rather than a bunch of text that you have to read through or, you know, different slides and static objects, things are going to move around. I think, uh, and I think it's going to be revolutionary for a support department where you can actually stand in line as an avatar and see when someone's actually going to be available to help you mm-hmm. instead of just waiting on hold with the worst music ever. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I can definitely see that as being an option. But if you think about efficiency of space and like, okay, I woke up in the morning, I drink my coffee, I want to, you know, run through my feed. I want to see what's trending. I want to, you know, check my messages, whatnot. I don't know if I like, I want to see that immediately. Like, I, I don't want to like have to walk like across the yard on my computer <laughs> to, to like go over like, but uh, again, it's probably not either or I think that that's why AR and kind of like overlays to three-dimensional space is probably very likely. And, you know, your feed could just be sort of this like holographic overlay to some larger space. And, but, but I do think that newsfeed is an efficient form of consuming information. So are, you know, stories. So like there's various functionality that has emerged like full screen video that is a kind of consensus type of functionality that like it's not a coincidence that every social network is basically becoming the same app like think about it instagram tiktok youtube facebook yeah, they're all kind of converging. They're converging. <laughs> they have this they have generally the same functionality with slight variation and that's not necessarily a negative thing. It means that like massive amounts of market research and data science has shown that this is what people like to do because this is efficient information exchange and consumption. So I think that, yes, there will be like a blend of that with more immersive space. But I also like, you know, I don't think that people are necessarily going to be like, oh, you know, like when I'm staring at my computer, like I really kind of want to see an avatar of myself standing in the help desk line, but they might. And if you want to do that, I, I think you will be able to, but I don't think that you necessarily need that. Yeah. No, it's funny. It's like, it, it kind of brings back to my mind even when the, when the first iPhone was invented, like. I think the first two iPhones, there wasn't even an app store, right? Like it was, it was, it was a platform that was waiting to be developed on. And, and I kind of think about like the metaverse like that right now. It's like just this broad-based platform, some unique thing, like what is the, the, the next big thing often looks like a toy, um, you know, I think is a, a popular Mark Andreessen quote or something like that. And um, it just kind of feels like maybe we're just still in that, that, you know, toy phase, um, that iPhone one, iPhone two phase, but soon, you know, there, there might be, you know, five years down the line, these, these applications that, you know, actually do have 500 million users or something that would be cool. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised if in five years, I mean, look right now we're on zoom with webcams and it's, I mean, I'm, it's, it's a little bit clunky. Like it works well, but like as much as I want to resist the idea of being in a VR headset for my whole work day, like I do accept the fact that this would probably be really cool if we were in that. And it would probably be like really good quality. And, you know, maybe our conversation, our, our conversation would be, kind of increase in quality as well because we're having a more higher or we're having a higher resolution experience with each other and so our conversation can kind of just be more real and dyna dynamic and sensory and so it can represent like a real converse i don't know yeah, like, and, and it could even have on the recording like cutting from my pov back to your person uh you know your point of view then a third you know kind of a third camera that looks at both of us and sees our entire bodies right. as opposed to right now it's like a gallery image where just all three of our heads just pasted on, you know, on the top of the screen. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you, do you guys think that like, does it scare you to think about spending six hours a day in a headset? I mean, we do that anyway. We just don't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, 
like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely on the computer for, for, for hours and hours and hours a day. And, you know, you have the freedom to take your, your headset off or, you know, take your eyes away from the screen, um, mm -hmm. the 2d screen, but I do have, like, I did have an Oculus and I did return it because I got motion sickness, uh, when I was playing some games, it's like, I could play the golf games where you're standing still, but I can't play the racing games or I can't like move around without getting like virtual, uh, sickness. So I, I think like the, the mind still needs to adapt to that sort of, uh, that sort of just medium, I guess. And, and just not comfortable yet, but I do know people who spend a lot of time in it and love it, mm -hmm. but, uh, I think we're a ways away. Yeah. I, th I think that the real world is both. And I, I think that that is going to be a hard thing to accept, but it really is true that digital and physical are both real um, in different ways. And yeah, I mean, to, uh, to your point, like we're already doing it and, you know, sitting in a chair, I mean, you're standing, it looks like. Yeah. 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 I'm, I just got this standing desk. I'm mobile. It's great. <laughs> I mean, it is great. Like it, it, sitting is, is extremely unhealthy. Um, so, but I don't know. VR doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to stand up like at the end of the day, <laughs> you kind of just have to not be lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, that's it. And so the last thing I would say about it is that I'm also not like none of the hardware is open source. That pisses me off. Like there's nobody, well, there probably are some, I, I have looked into some open source AR VR projects, but like, I'm not going to give my life to devices that are not being transparent with me. Like, I don't want Oculus just like having a data stream of my, you know, eyeball reflex activity that they're stealing from me and not giving me access to which you know they're gonna do <laughs> yeah you know all the retinal like that's a very personal like they could just be filming your eyeball all day and you know i'm not saying that that's like there probably is really valuable data that you can gather even about your health from having your, cause there's a whole field of like eye reflexology and neurology and like the, you know, your eye movements is like actually a very accurate way to kind of detect various stuff happening. Oh with your shit. Brain. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's, um, it's probably a book. Like what do your eyes say about you? <laughs> Just waiting for Oculus health app to come out next and take over your life. I'm sure they probably already have it. I mean, I actually went to a neurologist, uh, a chiropractic neurologist one time who, put on a headset on me and it was filming my eyes and he spun me around in a circle on the chair. And then it records your eyes going like this and like the speed at which they adjust to like wow. stay going straight. And um, that can kind of determine you know, some of your spinal communicate. It's crazy. Like there's definitely a lot of information that you can gather from, from filming your eyes. And, um, so, you know, yeah, that's a little bit of a tangent, but <laughs> no, it, I love the, the, this still the everyone. best part about podcasting. You just get to go off on these tangents and listen to smart people talk about their interests. It's great. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I want to see anyway, point. Yeah. I, I want to see open source hardware. Um, I just bought all of these open source, uh, this is a Pine phone. It's a, it's a, it's an open source phone. I got two of them, which I'm playing with. Uh, this is a Pine phone pro. So this is like running Linux as opposed to iOS or Google Android. Oh, nice. So is it basically, it's just a Linux app or is it something like Copperhead OS? that's like built for phones, like a stripped down version of Android. Um, it's well, no, yeah. So these the the Pine phones are Linux, like kind of modified for mobile devices. Um, and I don't know which exact version of Linux they're running, but then I have another one. I'm like testing all of these. Then I have this other one. Um, this is called the Purism Librem. So this is actually all made in the US. Well, it's assembled in the US, which is rare because a lot of phones are like assembled in China and they have like all 
sketchy backdoors and backdoors. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of what they're going at, but it's, it's both. They're all clunky. Um, and they're not smooth. Like the, the cool thing though, about the purism is that you can actually dock it to a, uh, monitor and keyboard and like use it as just like a Linux, like desktop OS, as well as a mobile phone. And it has this mobile view, but you know, graphene OS is apparently the best. I need, I still need to try that one. And that is like, you know, stripped down Android with all the Google stuff removed and it actually works really well. The Linux phone stuff is, is not, I don't know. Competing with Android is going to be really hard because Android is open. You know, they have all the apps already built and um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I do. I really care about all that stuff. And I, I am just sort of fascinated in seeing the global infrastructure moving towards open source systems, whether it's, you know, money, hardware, energy systems, like everything we need to move all systems to open source decentralized. And it's, you know, it's going to take a long time, but it's, I just, it's cool to see these projects pursuing it. We're definitely trending in the right direction. I remember when I found Linux in the late nineties, I was thinking, man, this thing's never going to have a market share of anything because it's so damn difficult to install Slackware. It takes like three days, mm -hmm. but you know, 20 years later, you, you know, pretty much anyone can install Linux now with a click of a button, yep. even from their windows desktop. So, and you know what I heard, long, long is that, and we'll yeah, I, I, I heard of a, a stat that there's now been more contributors to Ethereum than Linux. There's been more, I think a million individual uh, contributors to Ethereum uh, which makes it the, the most actively uh, developed open source project in the world, which, you know, that's Linux used to have that stat. title. That's a very cool stat. And if you, you probably, if you compared the uh, time that it took Ethereum to achieve that compared to Linux, it's probably much faster. Oh yeah. In the same way that TikTok, you know, outpaced any other social platform. Yeah. And, you know, people, obviously for good reason, there's a lot of criticism of a lot of, uh, nasty coins on Ethereum. But I think that what bothers me about the sort of shitcoin meme is that, you know, while honestly most of, you know, most coins are, the reality is that the ability to create token economies, you know, on projects with, you know, real usability and, you know, integrity, that is w most likely why Ethereum has achieved this so quickly, because the incentive structure is just so much better for developers. I mean, yeah. developers can earn tokens for their contributions. They can, um, you know, and, you know, not even to mention the, the mining rewards or, you know, soon the validation rewards. It's just like, Ethereum is literally designed to reward participants in a way that Linux and open source historically has really not been capable of achieving. Like, you know, open source contributor, and it's great that people, you know, give their heart and soul to projects with, without much compensation historically, but I don't know. It's, it's a good thing that we have the ability to reward people more now so i don't know true I, I just want people to have more more nuance with how they approach tokens and i know it's it's just a lot it's it's a, it's only a small number of like really loud bitcoin maxis who are the ones kind of being so close-minded about building incentive systems for developers but like i mean ethereum has way more developers than bitcoin and you know that's yeah. why yeah. Well, Bill, it's been amazing having you on. We'd love to have you back anytime. Uh, but that's all the time we have for today. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And just to recap one more, if you want to get rid of your iPhone, and my God, you really should, uh, consider some of these open, force, open source phones. Uh, they're either running the Graphene OS or Pine Phone or Purism, as Bill has brought to light today. So once again, thank you so much for being on the show, Bill. Yeah, thanks for having me. Find me at minds.com slash Oppman if you want to hit me up. And, uh, you know, yeah, we'd love to have you guys on as well. So maybe we can follow up about that. 
That'd Absolutely. Be awesome. Delete your social media and join minds.com. Uh, reclaim your freedom, everyone. And we'll see you again next week. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.